Hello and welcome to Engagement Express, the podcast series for HR engagement and internal communications professionals. My name is Katie Siche and I'm a global internal communication consultant who's worked with many well-known brands to support their colleague engagement strategies. Here we are at episode 23 for another fantastic interview, this time with a lady called Kirsten Major. Now, Kirsten is a New York City-based award-winning communications professional. She specializes in internal communications and storytelling for business and has worked for large multinational companies and local nonprofits throughout her career. She holds a master's degree from the writing program at Cornell University and is a member of the International Association of Business Communicators and the National Black Public Relations Society. You can find her on LinkedIn. So thank you so much, Kirsten, and welcome to Engagement Express podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. It's wonderful. It's great to be here, Kate. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. And we first connected via LinkedIn. We have a mutual connection in Carol, who I used to work with at Medtronic. And you came to me with a really interesting topic focused on tech. And tech is obviously so often perceived as a solution to lots of problems. But you came at it from a different angle, didn't you? I did. Absolutely. And it's something that affects enough of the workforce and that I feel it's so important to surface and talk about. In the United States, this problem I'm going to talk about affects knowledge workers. And in the US, there are 64 million professional knowledge workers, which is about 41% of the workforce. And in the United Kingdom, 21% of the 33 million workers in the UK are knowledge workers, and that is the largest one category of workers in the UK. So this is really an important topic that is affecting a lot of people and a lot of the workforce in the US and the UK. So my way into what I'm going to talk about is actually when I became a job seeker in a COVID layoff in July and Mm -hmm. decided to use the time to, first of all, do some professional development and just to sort of dip in and reinvest in understanding how I can be my best self, my best worker, how I can really focus to do breakthrough work for my employers. And at the same time, I was reading a lot of job descriptions, you know, and applying for jobs and reading about what people wanted. My field is internal communications, which is actually the UK really leads internal communications. The foundational texts that I've read, you know, a lot of the TED Talks that I've watched are really coming from the UK as a huge leading voice in the internal comms landscape. Yeah. Right. So what I started noticing is As I was reading professional development that said, if you want to do your best breakthrough work, you need to focus, you need to eliminate distraction, you need to stay offline, you need to get rid of the screens, you need to focus, focus, and be extremely disciplined about letting in any extraneous things from your company, from coworkers, you know, just focus on what you're doing and, you know, strategically building relationships in that context. At the same time, the jobs that I was reading for my profession, internal communications, were all about, 
we want to bring this social media platform, this social media intranet into our company. We are looking for somebody who can bring in Facebook at work or Simpler or Unily. Yeah, Unily is another company that does internal comms. So what I you know, began to understand is that the latest trend I'm seeing here in New York, and if you want to chime in, I'd be interested to hear your perspective in the UK, is that in mm-hmm. the time of COVID, employers are really looking for ways to engage their employees. There's lots of statistics about an engaged employee is a committed, happy, productive, and long-term employee. And so yeah. there has been I would say, you know, it started over the last 10 years, maybe, but now it's really kind of in a mission critical moment and really experiencing a big boom are companies that will build things that are styled on social media. And by that, I mean, they will have a social media looking interface. So you've got pictures and notifications and badges and ranks and games and discussion groups and your friend circle. And all these sorts of colorful bells and whistles and everything for your employees as a platform for employees to engage. And actually, just so I, you know, this is really more of a conversation. I'm wondering if you want to reflect on the internet trend. I'd be so curious to know what's going on in the UK with that. Yeah, so we have a very similar wave of excitement and anticipation. Well, not necessarily anticipation, but just enjoyment, really, of this tech solution that's been implemented in organizations. So there is this, and there has been for many years now, a focus on platforms as solutions to engagement problems, like you said. So we have Workplace, which is the corporate version of Facebook. Yammer has been around for many years and is now probably taking a back seat to Workplace, if I'm honest. But then, of course, you've got the stalwart intranet in the background. And that's sort of taken a back seat, actually. And, you know, originally when I was first started working in internal communications in the early 2000s, the intranet was the core technical platform for engaging employees. But as we've developed sort of sophistication around social collaboration and the importance of understanding what's happening outside your particular area, you know, getting to know colleagues from across the organisation, we focused more on social as a mechanism for engagement rather than just having a portal or an intranet where people can go and find information or pull out forms or policies. You know, we want people to interact. We want people to have discussions. We want dialogue. We want conversations. We want true collaboration. And all of that more or less now, you know, is in the workplace facilitated via technical solutions as the ones I've just outlined. So we also have an obsession in the UK with tech as a means to engage employees, and even more so now as a result of the pandemic. So yeah, I'd say we were in the same space. And, you know, it's interesting also to just build on that, how today's younger worker, you know, and even I would say millennials, which are no longer today's young worker, but their expectations of work are a lot different than perhaps with a Gen Xer, which is what I am, or baby boomers, in that they want their experience at work to really speak to them as a whole person and to kind of seamlessly blend into their experience outside work. So, you know, outside work, they have these platforms, these social media platforms, and, you know, they're constantly interacting and that's how they experience the world and acquire information. And that's sort of their style of being. And it's important to younger workers to have their lives as they stand reflected in their work lives. That's something they really 
really prized. So the nagging issue for me was, you know, I would be reading these things about deep work and, you know, what it is really going to take to be a next level worker and to be focused and to elite workers often don't even have social media and think it's a terrible idea and want to solve complex problems. So I would be reading all of this and then, you know, go into my job search sessions and see nothing but requests for bringing these social media-based platforms into the workplace and getting employees to use them. Mm. And this is the thing that I started reflecting on. What I am going to say is surprising to no one, and it is so well known. So social media functions by capturing your attention, kind of short-circuiting the part of you that's like, oh, I've really got to go and do this, do this work thing or make dinner or talk to my partner or you know, if you're at work or whatever. And there are things called addiction labs when they talk about how, yes, we are absolutely focused on finding ways to short circuit your executive thinking functions so you will stay on this platform so we can sell ad space and generate revenue. And social media is constructed. That's how they make their money. If you think about a company like Microsoft, that's actually a company that was built on creating technical solutions for business and selling them like PowerPoint and Word. But social media is very, very different. It makes its money by having you stay online as long as possible. And so all the things that we have so much absorbed into our experience, we don't experience it as, as, you know, someone trying to cash in on our time, but things like notifications that read on the top, uh, you know, posting and scrolling. So you're just Mm. scrolling, 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 like buttons. Again, we're very social animals. And we have these primate social needs to understand hierarchy and to participate, you know, invitations to view. So even if you're not participating, things at the top, like red, you'll see things like, you know, so and so is inviting you to view, live chats, games, polls, special groups, these things are all created in a revenue generating context to trap you. And then to also, again, as I said, to short circuit executive thinking functions that would make you say, okay, this is ending. This is over. You know, it's never over on social media. So exactly. So I started having this insight of, we know that social media prevents goal achievement, focus. It can, you know, habituated use can even impair learning. So why are we bringing these things into the workplace? And what does that mean that we are bringing into the workplace? And this seemed to me to be such an obvious question. I figured that there was lots of literature or discussion, and I got really interested, and again, as part of my professional due diligence, in the companies that are offering these services. And, you know, they're out there and they're doing lots and lots of demos. So I attended demos. And during the Mm. Q&A sections, I would type in this question and I was really surprised. It went completely ignored. There was one company that actually listed on their specification or their benefits and features, they actually listed that their platform was habit-forming which is, you know, a sanitized word for addiction. So during this particular company's presentation, I wrote to the company presenting, if this platform is habit forming, what does that do when employees are trying to disconnect to do focused Mm. work? Is there any way that your platform supports being off your platform? And literally, the question was completely ignored. And that happened to me 
again on another platform where I said, you know, you want people to be on this all the time, but how does this support the worker experience of having career building important things to do? And you're introducing this element that comes from an industry that is trying to hijack attention. It's not supporting higher decision making. It's not supporting executive function or planning. How does that work? And again, it was silence. So I think that I kind of put together some insights. And that's when you and I had our initial conversation. When I sort Mm. of asked you, Kate, what is your experience of this? Like, have you heard about this? And I'm wondering if you want to reflect on this for a minute. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, you know, I am nodding as you're speaking, but there's a side of me, you know, I guess I'm divided in my view on this because I obviously understand well the benefits that these platforms, these tech platforms bring. But as you say, there is this addictive quality to them, which makes them seem slightly at odds with the whole idea of engagement with work and focus and deep work as you spoke about, there's no way you can do deep work of any kind when you're distracted in this way. And then I kind of think to myself, as you were talking, I was considering the way that we could harness because these tools require us somewhat to have a responsibility to understand them and get the best out of them from an engagement perspective, but then to release them and to ignore them when they're not serving us. So I wanted to actually ask your opinion on, you know, where you think the accountability lies, because it seems as though the organizations that are creating these platforms don't necessarily want to curb the addiction to their platform, which is understandable because they are revenue generating organizations, they're commercial. And so does the responsibility lie with the user? So myself, at the end, an end user, the company that's deployed the system and asks its employees to use it, or the actual provider. I wonder if somehow, someone, somewhere needs to take responsibility for understanding where the cutoff point is. Yes, that's a great question. And I have, you know, two kind of lines of response. So first of all, when I presented this to a friend who is a CEO of a tech company, And, you know, at that point, I was saying to her, you know, I would love to have a job at one of these platforms to create this. And she said, actually, what is going to happen and how this is going to change is when someone is sitting in a vendor presentation and, you know, a company selling these services present and the buyer, you know, the client on the other side Mm. of the table asks the question that I was asking and says, I'm absolutely not bringing this into my company unless you can provide me with some kind of response or plan for, you know, supporting this other side of work, which really is, it's silent, you know, which Mm. in some ways is, I don't want to criminalize it because when you're communicating as a communicator, you're not worried about the silence. Like that's not what you're hired for. You know, you're like, how can I push this out and get maximum? Yes. But, you know, we are at a point where I think we are at a tipping point where maybe we need to take more responsibility. So the first response is it's when I think, and the reason I've been sharing this, and I'm so happy to be on this podcast, is when people have an awareness, all it would take would be a question like that. And you can bet Mm. that those companies would go back and say, okay, can we create virtual workrooms? Or can we create, you know, something within this intranet that's like, you know, welcome to focus world or something like how can we innovate 
and deliver to these companies this experience of providing an acknowledgement that yes, you do need to stop scrolling and not be on this, or you need to be on this in the part of this that is going to support and help you achieve a task, to work on a task, maybe we gamify the tasks, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, there are not black and whites here. And a lot of the tech industry has been led by young people in these social media platforms. We're very youth led. And I think, you know, in our youth, we are extreme. I think what was Facebook's original credo, move fast and break things. And of course, you know, Mark Zuckerberg (laughs) isn't talking like that anymore. But there's a huge gray. (laughs) Yeah, there's a huge gray area because I presented this to a colleague who works at Google in human resources. And she said, you know, we really need this stuff in a way, like, you know, the things that the staff pet show or, you know, mm. the like, join us for trivia lunch hour or let's do yeah. yoga together for Wellness Wednesday. She said, look, in HR, you need to know that we really struggle to find things that are going to speak to a large number of people, address exactly. a large number of people and reach a large number of people. So, yeah. you know, it's not as simple as saying, let's just pull the plug, you know, no. and let's just not have this. So it's not about being Luddite. No, it's not. Just switching off. No, but I am really, as I go further and further and sort of investigating this, it is quite poignant to me that the worker's dilemma, which I think with the advent of social media now in the workplace is that much more poignant because there's this one world of work, which is the professional development. I want to be the best I can be at my job. I want to excel. I know that I feel at work, the times that I feel really great at work are when I've really pushed myself and produced a report or produced an overall plan or a, yeah. you know, a bit of creative work that's really superlative. And to do that, you know, a lot of times I will have to physically leave my desk, hide and hope that, you know, that people won't be mad at me for being unavailable for a couple of hours. So there's this private world and employers, because again, because employers are interested in communicating their goals and aligning people, they don't really talk about this. Like you need to be in a place where you are not going to be interrupted and you can do work. But that's kind of on the employee as a private struggle. If the employee is, you know, very motivated and ambitious. And Mm. then you have, you know, the company's voice coming at you saying, you know, we want you on this platform and we need you in this yoga class or we really want you to figure out, you know, we really want to have this town hall so you can understand our goals. But I can't recall a time or a place or a program or a thought where the company is like, we realize that you need to be able to do focus, focused work. I did work at a company that had And it was a small enough company and it was not, it didn't extend beyond the walls of the company. So this was possible. They actually instituted a quiet hour, which protected an hour of work. But that's not, you know, it's not going to be possible in multinational Mm -hmm. companies. It's not going to be possible in, in companies with more than one location. But I feel like we need to unite these two data sets. I don't think I have said anything to you today that, you know, data wise or, you know, sort of common knowledge out there that's, you know, surprisingly fresh, but we are just not uniting this experience for the worker. And I think now that social media is coming into our workplace and with COVID, it really is in it. We need to have these conversations. We need to, we also, I think as internal communications professionals need to 
now put our arms around not just how we talk to employees and engage them, but the whole employee experience of what is the context and expectation and ability we're giving our employees to. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, as you're speaking, I'm sort of thinking back to some of the experiences I've had in, in recent years where there hasn't been that connection between some employees and the technical platform that's been implemented. You know, some people just don't like social media. They don't like online interactions. And of course, you can't please everyone. And that's not the remit. Our remit is not to make sure everyone is 100% happy because you're always going to disappoint, you know, a few people here and there. And like you say, it's not as simple. It's not as black and white as saying, let's switch it off and take it away. And then we can all go back to the way things were before. That's simply not possible. But I do agree with you in that there's this 24-7 culture that's entered the workplace as a result of technical platforms or um, technical tools like Skype, like Teams, like Cisco Jabber, things that identify you as being online or offline. And people use them, you know, for good or bad reasons, you know, to identify how productive an employee is being. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. So often, you know, I've worked for organisations where you have your offline and online status displayed on Teams or Skype or, you know, similar platforms. It is horrible because the minute Mm -hmm. you log on, you're there, you know, you're available. And I hate that word because I'm not available. I'm here, but (laughs) I'm doing something. I'm not available, you know, just to chat about any old nonsense or chat about even something worthwhile. But, you know, I need to be assigned a time to do that. So this constant being available status is what troubles me. And I spoke to an IC director a couple of years ago, and she said to me that, you know, I see some people working from home. This is pre-COVID. And they're showing us offline or away, you know, and I don't like that. And I thought to myself, well, why? What is it? And you're watching that and you're using it to assess what, you know, is that going to come up in appraisal or that really troubled me when she said it. I thought, "Uh oh, there's trouble afoot. It is absolutely, it's nothing less than sort of stunning and confounding how those that expectation actually works against the company's interest. I mean, you know, I do understand that, you know, companies feel insecure about just sort of, you know, they want to know what their employees are doing. They want to make sure that their employees are productive. But, you know, man, this is not the way to do it. (laughs) I was reading an, an article in Forbes magazine written by a CEO about saying, and I thought, right on, guy, person, this is... He's saying there's infobesity, there's a glut of information, and we're making it harder for our workers to focus. And then he actually goes on to say, and this is a direct quote I'm reading, most employees are used to reviewing notifications in their personal lives. You can use this to your benefit in the workplace by tasking managers with the responsibility of interacting with posts so that their staff feels heard in real time. You know, and so he's saying at the same time, he's saying there's infobesity. He's saying, let's have managers reading these notifications and responding mm. in real time. And that's going to promote our culture. And then here's something interesting. Then he says, muting notifications during breaks allows brains to momentarily rest and refresh so that employees are prepared when they return to work. And yeah. again, I thought, 
What about when they're trying to work? What about muting and when you're trying to work? <laughs> exactly. And, and this is a seat. This is a CEO writing in Forbes wow. magazine. This is not just the worst minds in corporate yeah. America or exactly. whatever. This is someone saying, workers are being pushed too hard. Let's use notifications and respond in real time and you can turn them off yeah. when you get tired. So what kind of productive breakthrough work are the managers going to do that are going to say, these are my insights for how we're going to drive spending or the spending decisions we're going to make for this company? Like there is money on the table that I'm going to make best decisions about, or these are the ad buys that we're going to do, or this is the product, you know, direction. Knowledge workers are supposed to be thinking and making these smart decisions. How can you do that when you have notifications popping up? And think about the CEO in this company and what, you know, this CEO's managers must experience. Like, you know, look at notifications all the time, respond to employees in real time. You know, we expect you to drive to have decision making input in how our company is driven. Yeah. Oh, and you can turn off notifications when you get tired. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, there is a, yeah, I mean, there is that choice. I mean, you, you literally can switch off the notifications, but I think you mentioned a couple of times the word expectation. And that's very important because there is this unspoken expectation that employees feel. They might not necessarily hear it, but they perceive it to be true that they are under pressure to maintain a certain level of activity on these platforms, to be posting, to be present, to be interacting, to, to be, be responding, you know, to, to be, be visible. To, right. That's right. Exactly. And so that troubles me because if you're not that way inclined, which a lot of people are not, then how do you make that okay? You know, exactly. How do you make that acceptable? And Exactly. And when you and I spoke initially about this, I kind of talked about, you know, an employee coping mechanism, which I like to call the maverick gamble. So yeah. professional development covers this a lot. Like, okay, so you're saying I need to shut off these notifications. I need to go where I'm offline. I need to disappear for an hour and be unavailable. And how do I handle that in terms of mm. wanting to succeed? And personal development will say the work that you do will be so good, it will make up for your absence. But that's a gamble. Right. So you're, you know, denorming yourself, you're disengaging, and there's no company encouragement, mandate, understanding. In fact, there's the exact opposite. Exactly. So you're hoping, you are hoping that you will produce work that is so good that they'll say, well, she's so valuable. <laughs> exactly. You know, we don't mind that she disappears. And that's a, that's that's right. a heck of a gamble. And it's not fair because the thing, no, you know, things are stacked away from you. And, you know, for those of us who are working in the communications, you know, sector, it's also true. I mean, if I had a job where if I disappeared for, from my desk for an hour, like all hell would break loose. You know, I would mm -hmm. come back and people would be like, where are you? Did you get my email? You know, because <laughs> people are often dependent upon communicators for yeah. their stuff to amplify their message. And they're very... Yeah understandably like, okay, I have built this up. I am now handing this to you and hoping and praying that you are going to get this out there. So, you know, yeah. again, not to demonize anyone, but, you know, as communicators, I will often be walking down the hall and people will say, did you get my email? Did you get my email? Yeah. And it's very yeah. triggering for me. And I'm thinking, no, I haven't read your email because I was trying to do the personal development thing of coming in and not checking email and getting in the spin. I'm actually trying mm. to think about this campaign. I'm trying to think about who this audience is and how we want to approach them. And I'm trying to, you know, gosh darn it, I'm trying to generate delight <laughs> and joy in my mind. And I can't yeah. do that because 
five people have asked me, you know, on the way to the bathroom, did you get my, did you get my um, email? Yeah. Did you you get my email? Yeah. Right. And you know, the company expectation at that company, there was absolutely 100%. There was a very insecure leader and there was no understanding that I need to do focused work and I need to be quiet and say, okay, were you working on something? There was no confidence that if you were working on something, if you weren't available, it was like Mm. to be available is to be good, but then you had all this other stuff. So it's quite poignant and quite rich. And and as I said, I brought it to you because I was just so confounded that this is going on. And now this is really reaching a boiling point, bringing these things. And then no one's really talking about this divide for workers. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. The, I mean, the whole idea of execution for internal communicators is a, is a long running saga. And it's something that every person who works in our field will talk about. There's often no room or no space for deep work because you're constantly focused on tactics and execution. But, you know, going forward, as our profession gains more understanding and traction and with the exposure that we've experienced during COVID, you know, perhaps we will be more adequately resourced and budgeted so that we are able to do more of that focused deep work and planning that's so pivotal to being successful. It's been such a fascinating conversation. You know, I've really enjoyed listening to your thoughts on this. I wondered, as we sort of draw the interview to a close, what you perceive the solutions to be and whether you have thought through how this whole challenge around habitual use of platforms and addiction can be tackled, can be mitigated? Well, first and foremost, I think that there's a really exciting next step of discovery that we haven't discovered, that the way that we would unite worker need for focus and these platforms offers a whole new area of research, of new product lines, and of understanding how the brain can be engaged, challenged. And I think that's really exciting. Some things that I'm seeing in the field that are actually already at work are communities of practice online. I actually am part of a group that literally we get together on Zoom every morning and we all write for two hours. And Mm, I love that. We have each other on our screens, but we all get together and say, this is what I'm going to work on. And then we are all working for two hours and then we check in and go about our day. So working alone together is actually a very interesting use of technology that I'm seeing growing and I'm hearing anecdotally and seeing that it actually is providing that incredible focus using technology. Another thing is I've noticed that Microsoft Cortana is interesting. Again, Microsoft came into this game very differently as a provider of business tools as opposed to a seller of advertisements. So I've noticed that Microsoft Cortana has this thing where it will go through your schedule and say, hey, I'm seeing these blocks of time to focus. Do you want me to schedule this? And I think that's brilliant. And Mm. I would love to see more of that. Another thing is the company-wide quiet hour if you have that possibility where everybody sort of agrees. And what that does is that actually neurologically, when I was in a, at a company that did that, it neurologically sets you up for what it is like to be at your desk and focused and working and what it's also like as a worker to say, I need to call, oh, I need to email, ooh, I'm going to walk over yeah. and you have to stop 
you know, a lot of communication, you'll agree, is frictionless. And that's what makes it in some ways so hard to fend off, you know, just shoot that email, that chat, that whatever. But friction, introducing some friction, like, okay, there's company-wide quiet hour. I'm not going to bother this person. This is what I can work on. It really creates a muscle that we do have as people and as workers that is great to use. So those are some things that I feel are, I'm, I'm seeing happening, you know, but really even more than that, I think we are potentially at the beginning of a really exciting era. You know, when that first voice goes up in the room about how, you know, when someone's saying buy this internet and saying, well, how does this work with focus? And they have to answer. I think Mm. we're going to look at, we've got a really promising and exciting future ahead in internal communications. If we can actually just start asking this question. Yeah, it's a good point. It's something that we need to do. I think actively we need to be proactive about having those conversations with providers because often, you know, I've been in organizations where these in, these sort of introductions are done and, and no one really wants to speak up or say anything because it's all so happy clappy, you know, everyone's so excited to have it and they just don't want to question the tech that's been in, in implemented and whether it has a negative side to it or not. So I think speaking up is very key to getting those conversations and that dialogue started around perhaps the, the slight negativity that could be introduced into an organization by that tech solution. And I wanted to also ask you, what's next on the horizon for you? What are you up to? Is your opportunity to showcase your projects and your focus for the time being? Well, I'm so thrilled to be sharing it here. I've sent this out as an article idea. I don't want to name outlets yet, but you know, I will let you know. And Fantastic. I, yes, and I'm, you know, hoping to, I've got meetings lined up to sort of present this. And it has a great, wonderful effect for me, in terms of really being the communicator I am and seeing a light bulb go on to my brothers and sisters in the communications community. I um, mean, mm-hmm. it's also helping me expand my network. And to create, you know, through these meaningful conversations to perhaps create some possibilities for me as I look at my next steps in my own communications career. Oh, that's wonderful, Kirsten. It's, and I'm really glad that Carol introduced us and that we're connected because it's been a fruitful connection so far, resulting in this wonderful interview. And you might be interested, actually, if you haven't already come across episode four of the podcast is on communities of practice. So do go back and take a listen to that if it would be of interest to you. I will. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Kate. I've really enjoyed our talk. No, thank you so much, Kirsten. Thank you. And you too.